Hey friends, welcome to the podcast. Ryan Smith here, Pastor Common Thread Church. It's been a couple weeks since we've been together here. Uh, just life has been happening, and to be honest, uh, it's just been uh, there's been a lot going on. It's just been hard to, to get to this and to be in the right frame of mind. Um, but it's something I wanted to get back to and uh, just kind of have out there something for us to, to think through and just to to be in the discipline of what it means to dive deeper into God's Word. So this week, as we're closing out our series, getting close to the end of our series um, in Campfire Stories, working through Hebrews 11, uh, talking about different characters, uh, different people in the in our faith story, in our journey, um, we come to the character of Rahab. Um, and I, I, I love Rahab. I, I think she has an incredible story, and I love that she's included in this list. Um, but we kind of have to begin with who she is and how amazing it is that she is in this list, right? Because everything about her um, makes her an unlikely character, uh, unlikely hero in in the, the whole story of God, right? Um, um, she she has everything about her that is wrong, so. Um, her story uh, is told in Joshua 2 and 6, but everything about her, her heritage, she be- she belongs to the wrong political party, uh, the wrong ethnic class. Um, she's a loyalist to the king of Jericho and a Canaanite. Um, so in a word, she's a citizen of the wrong nation, right? Um, so Canaanites. Canaanites uh, are the people who are ruling Israel when uh, the, the the land of Israel when um the the Israelites are have left Egypt they roam roam the desert and and now they're getting ready to enter into the promised land and and Joshua has to to take Jericho where the Canaanites rule but um what's kind of interesting Joshua is given the order to destroy every man every woman and child in the entire land right um seems drastic um and I don't have all the answers as to why this this seems to be the case, but I do think there are some things that we can look at. And so, um, the first thing is that the Canaanite religion um, is infectiously depraved. Uh, ancient Canaanite texts confirm um, in X-rated language, X-rated pictures. Uh, this is one of the closest pictures I have of, of, of women being sold in, in a temple, but. It links sexual immorality with religious rituals um, to legitimize temple prostitution, um, which becomes a, a virulent moral virus contain, contaminate anyone or any nation that it touches. Um, it seems how easy it is to justify the basis of sexual lust when you are simply worshiping your God, right? Then this is what goes on. Um, and so since the Lord brings his people out of Egypt to become a holy nation— the promised land in which they will dwell must be cleansed of these practices, um, these infections, if you will. And there is this idea that we understand that, that if something that is turned or something that is moldy or something that is bad, it turns the rest of the stuff as good. And so there is this concept um, that is produced here, this idea of of making, of cleansing the land. Um, the second thing that we get out of this is that God, you know, it's not like God is just, you know, 
heartless and that he doesn't give him a chance. Because actually we find out that God gives the Canaanites 400 long years to repent. Um, that's the timeline he tells Abraham in predicting the number of years in Israel's bondage in Egypt in Genesis fifteen thirteen. Why 400 years? Because God explains that the sin of the Amorites, one of the major tribes in Canaan, is not yet complete. We see that in Genesis 15, 16. So our long-suffering Lord, the one who's patient, grants them 400 years to turn from their practices. But by the time of the Exodus, there is no repentance, and God's judgment um, can't delay any longer. Um, And those are some hard things to to swallow, but those are things that are true at the time. And Rahab, Rahab is a daughter of, of this culture. Um, she's even named, Rahab is named after a Canaanite god. And so, she comes from the the wrong heritage, but she also has the wrong occupation. Um, what's kind of interesting is that um, in Jewish tradition, she is one of the four, four most beautiful women in history. The other three are Sarah, Bathsheba, and Esther. Now, I don't know... Uh, how they came up with this list, or you know, you know what what the qualifications were, but but this is part of the Jewish tradition that she's one of the most four most beautiful women in history. Um, but she, some question um, whether she was a prostitute. We read in in Joshua, and we also read in Hebrews um, that, that that might be the case. But some people argue that maybe she was just an official or royal, royal hostess that they struggle with her being a prostitute. But if you look at Hebrews 11, uh, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And this word prostitute here um, in the Greek is porne, and this is where we get the idea of pornography. And so the writer here really doesn't leave much um, leadway for argument. The, the, at least the, uh, the writer's uh, understanding of who Rahab was was that she comes from a, a background of pornography or prostitution, right? Um, the other things that we can see is that she has a place, a house on the outer wall, which means that it had a window. Um, and so this would, and it's also what she has is run by a woman. She's the, the leader of that area. And so this has every markings of a brothel that uh, not every... Um, business or location on the outer wall would have necessarily been a brothel, but if it was by close to the front gate, it was close to normally back then, it had the markings of being a brothel. Which gives us another question is why, oh why do the spies go to a brothel? And I think that's a great question. I I think sometimes we skip over it um, and I don't have an answer for it. Uh, It could be that they were going there it'd be the best place to blend in as um, as just maybe if they were visitors, you know, visitors come in, the gates are open during the day. Um, and so maybe that's would have been the easiest place for them not to stand out. I have no idea, but that's where they go. Right. But in all that saying, I don't want us to miss the main point of this thought um, in Hebrews. And I want to suggest, I, want, I think that the main thought today is that the, a life of faith is available to anyone, regardless of their reputation nationality, or prior lifestyle. Um, despite her baggage, we see Rahab the, the Rahab the prostitute embrace the God of Israel, and more importantly, we see God embraces her. Um, that God chooses 
people not on merit, but on grace. And so if this is not true, Rahab would not qualify. And as a matter of fact, neither one of us would qualify either, right? And so God chooses people not on merit, but on grace. And so there's a personal reflection here, a time to just kind of pause and think and and, and ask yourself, have you ever felt disqualified from blessing because of something in your past or maybe even something in your present? And if that's the case, then I want you to hear that Rahab, the story of Rahab, the character of Rahab is our lifeline. That forgiveness is available, that faith is available, that being a part of something holy is still available to everyone. Now, that being said, I want to kind of look at the transformation of Rahab, kind of just the the process of how it happens. And um, we go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. And so the the story is that the the spies come in to Jericho, they go into her place. Um, the king, you know, someone narks on them. They, they, they still find out. The king sends people over, says, hey, we hear that there's these guys in the land. Rahab's like, no, I, I think they're gone. Uh, I didn't know where they were from. Um, they took off that way. They went out the window. You got to go chase them. Um, but in actuality, she had sent them up to the roof to hide, um, which I think is hilarious that they didn't go up there to look. You know, um, this, obviously, I, I would assume this was not the first time she's hidden things there, but that's just an assumption that I have. Um And then it picks up here in verse 8. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, us, the Canaanites, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. So she states kind of what's going on, what's the, what's what's happening in the culture there. And then verse 10, she says, we have heard, and there's that concept of hearing, right? This idea that as a part of redemption, there's this idea of hearing what God has said. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. So she's quoting not just things that they've heard, but she's quoting history. She's quoting where God has worked. And then in verse 11, in verse 11, um, she says, When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. And so everyone in Jericho, even though the Jericho is this, this great fortress, everyone inside, inside of them is just nothing but fear. It's all balled up and they don't know what to do. And so most of them are preparing for, for this war out of fear. But then she says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now this is a statement we hear a lot in the Bible, and so it's something that necessarily um, doesn't necessarily strike you. But I want you to hear, this is, this is her faith statement. This is her proclamation that she says that your God is, is the God, is the one God. Baal and all these other gods that, that, that we have worshipped, that I have probably participated in 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 temple worship and prostitution and and sexual orgies all these things that i've given my life over to reality is that your god he is the one that is the ruler is the supreme one of heaven and of earth that he reigns everywhere and this proclamation this proclamation binds her to a new covenant 
This this allows her to become part of a new creation of a new of what we understand a new salvation. But here presents a great dilemma. Here's a great conversation piece that we don't have time to dive into all the nuances, but I just want to lay it at your feet and just kind of let you think through it. The question is, does God change his mind? Right? There's this whole predestination conversation. There's this whole Calvinistic kind of conversation that kind of happens in all of this. Does God move? Is everything set in stone? Is there to select? All that kind of stuff. Can God be moved? Right? Can can his um, his will, can his his direction be changed. Now, this is a deep, deep conversation, and it's not all black and white. There's nuances. There's things that we, we can grasp. There's things that we can't grasp in this. But I simply wanted to point out that before Rahab, that God does give Joshua the instruction that all Canaanites, men, women, and children, are to be vanquished, are to be killed, are to be destroyed from this earth. This is a command of God. This isn't something that man made up. This is something that God says. And when he says it, he doesn't give any stipulations. He doesn't give any yeah, buts, or he doesn't, hey, here's, the, here's the, the list of people that are exempt. But after this run-in of the spies with Rahab, he allows Rahab and her family to be saved. And so I simply want us to see in this conversation when we wrestle with can God be moved is that there is movement by God. There is change in God, right? Um, now, there is the debate, did God know that he was going to do this beforehand? All this kind of stuff that goes into it. And I'll leave that for you guys to, to do over coffee or espresso and kind of let me hear what you guys come up with. But what I want you to see is that God had a will and God had a, a command and then Rahab comes in, makes a proclamation, acts in a certain way, and Rahab is rewarded. And so, um, the, I want us to see different ways that kind of Rahab is rewarded. You know, first we see her physical rewards, right? We just simply see that when the Israelites come in and take on Jericho, you know, the Jericho, the walls come tumbling down, uh, which, by the way, her her room, her house is somehow connected to that wall. So part of her her place had to somewhat fall, maybe, or maybe her wall just simply stood there. Um, that's kind of some interesting language to, to dive into. And then the troops storm this unprotected city from 360 degrees all around the city. They come in and they just start destroying, but her and her family's lives are saved. And she now belongs to God's covenant people and will be forever numbered with them. And let's be honest, this is probably the most that Rahab dare hope for, that her life and her family's life be saved. That's what she wanted to be a part of. But God is not done with her. The, you know, the, the, the God of, of grace, the God of mercy, the God of wonders um, has a bigger plan for her. You know, um, isn't that true that he always takes what our dreams are, our hopes are, what our just longings for, um, and, and makes them even greater than we could ever understand. But he said, but survival is just the small part of what God has in store because Rahab receives hereditary awards, right? She becomes a link in the genealogy of King David. So in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, it tells us that Rahab, um, and this is the one time in the New Testament that she's not called a harlot or a prostitute. It says Rahab marries Salmon um, and uh, becomes the mother of Boaz. And Boaz marries Ruth the Moabite. 
And we see that in Matthew, you know, one five. So from Boaz, Scripture traces a direct ancestry to Jesus. What an incredible example of divine grace and mercy that Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the dirty one, Rahab the temple worshiper, the the one who com- who who participates in orgies to other gods. This Rahab becomes the ancestor of kings, a mother in the Messiah's lineage, that in the mess comes the Messiah. What an incredible story that that not only is her life saved, but she is forever part of the holy lineage. And so most importantly, Rahab is a woman of faith and is the recipient of immense spiritual rewards. And, and that is how the New Testament views her in two important passages. In Hebrews 11.31, uh, that she emerged as this faith-motivated woman. Her faith is the spiritual impulse to welcome the spies, hide them, and ensure their safe escape. And as a result, she not only saves their lives of, of, lives of her and her family, but also distinguishes herself from the other citizens of Jericho, who are described as disobedient. Um, and so this is a recognition of her new allegiance. Another scriptural tribute to Rahab comes from James 2, 24-25. And he says that she's a works-justified woman. A person is justified by works. And so James tells us in language that contrasts the Pauline theology of not by faith alone. Um, but this is to prove... Um, a controversial this controversial point, and he cites Rahab as an example. And so this idea is that faith um, is not something that stands low. Faith is accompanied by action. And what an incredible action that Rahab takes, right? That, that she goes against her whole cultural world. She goes around against her friends, against her city, and she trusts God, right? And so this idea that when the Israelites... Um, she has to trust that, that the Israelites are not going to destroy her and her family. She has to sit in the house and she hears the madness that's going around. She hears the walls tumble. She hears the carnage of people dying outside of it, people screaming, yelling. And there would have been this longing, this urge to come out and fight, to defend, to, you know, uh, is it going to really happen? But in that moment, it's a decision of faith, a decision of trust. And so this is what we see in, in Rahab. And she's an, not only that, but Rahab is an incredible example of God's inclusivity, in, in his inclusivity plan or in his inclusive faith, um, that he, he's going to allow someone that's outside the norm to be a part of it. But I also want to point out one more obvious thing before we move off Rahab. Um, Rahab, if you didn't know, was a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, Ryan. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, yes, Rahab was a woman. And in Hebrews 11, she and Sarah, Abraham's wife, are the only women mentioned by name. Now, it does bring up Moses' parents, but he doesn't name them. But that's it, right? So maybe three women listed in this um, this. Hall of Fame of Faith, if you will. I think it's so vital um, to mention the inclusivity of women in this list, right? So back then, um, a wall of heroes, people that you're holding up as, these are the people that we hold up as um, as people that, that represent our clan. Man, they are the, the heroes of who we are. 
if you were to include a woman, that would have been shameful. shameful. It would have shown that you were weak. It would have shown that you were not um, established. You know, it would have shown a lot of things, but it would not have shown honor. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, this is you know, women would not have been put on display, right? If you you actually had a, a woman's picture up, you might have hung a curtain over it, so a guest coming by wouldn't have seen it. And maybe you showed it, you know, when no one else was around. Um, but God says, no, 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 we're going to put this on display for everyone to see that everyone is accepted, male and female. And this comes about because of who Jesus is. But what I want you to understand as well, this concept of inclusivity, it's not new to Jesus. Um, It's been a part of the plan from the very beginning. God has always honored and respected women. Um, That There's always been this this idea of what it means to be one. If you look um, in Luke chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, the writer here is writing about what Jesus is doing but he quotes Isaiah, you know, the Old Testament stuff. He says this, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for them. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. All people, all people, man, woman, Jew, Gentile, slave, right? I mean, there is, there is the, the, the concept of inclusivity in God's scheme has always been. But it's taking humanity to catch up. We weren't ready for it back then. Um, but that was what God has always been doing. And he's still doing it today. We still struggle with that concept, right? But we're so thankful that he is patient. And so today's challenge in our walk with this concept of faith and understanding what the faith is about is that a life of faith is open to everyone. And I want you to hear that your past doesn't matter and your present doesn't matter. That God invites all of us into a relationship of faith with him. But now, as we we accept that, we're also challenged by Rahab to say, what actions will reflect our new covenant relationship with a loving and merciful God? How will we live out of faith that God accepts us as we are and and brings us into this new relationship? What will our actions today look like? I'd love to hear your comments in in, in our um, on, on our faith life and just kind of hear how you want to react to that or, or what might this cause you to act differently? What what would you put on the line um, in this this idea of what it means um, to be in a relationship with God? So some just some things to think about. I hope it's challenged you. And I, more importantly, I hope it's um, opened your heart to, to, understand, to hear that God invites you, no matter who you are, into a relationship with Him. Hope you have a great day. Grace and peace.